Hello, you're listening to the Minimalist Tech Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about video games and the video game industry. Now, from a minimalist perspective, uh, trying to uh, trying to pare down on the amount of things uh, can include video games, right? And um, I'm someone who has played video games from from very early on, you know, from the from Atari to Nintendo, Super Nintendo to uh, the Game Gear and Dreamcast and PlayStation 1, 2, 3, 4 and the Xbox uh, and the 360 and the Xbox One. Uh, you know, I've had a, uh, you know, as I became an adult, I, I was able to purchase uh, many of the consoles and uh, really just had a, a love for the industry and for video games in general. And I, I knew that I would be sort of paring down to an extent uh, my video game collection, if you will, uh, much of which is digital. And uh, uh, but but I didn't think that I would be in you know 2019, 2020, um, feeling just a sense of uh, frustration, some um, disappointment in just the state of the video game industry in general. And, uh, you know, I've kind of come at things from mostly a single-player perspective. Uh, so if you're a gamer, you might enjoy this. Uh, and if you're not, you might be aware of some of the, the... It's really the current state of the video game industry and how maybe it's not such a great idea to just get your, you know, get your kids a, a video game system anymore. Uh, because they uh, things have changed, changed quite drastically. Uh, in the way that the games are produced and uh, distributed and marketed and the fact that uh, there is so many ways to uh, be inundated with uh, uh, these, what they call microtransactions, which is just like the, the, the games are literally created in a way to make you spend money after the fact kind of thing. So I actually made a list several months ago about this. And so here's a few of the reasons why uh, I think the video game industry is in a really sad state. I'm really upset and disappointed about it. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to let it go, um, which is not something I was expecting to do. I was expecting to sort of pare down my games, um, but not to stop purchasing games and that sort of thing. So um, I've not completely eliminated it yet. I'm, I'm hoping out. Uh, hoping. Um, uh, I'm hoping. And realizing using that word, um, that the uh, really you know the people are are more aware of some of these issues, and that uh, some of these practices might get turned around because they're pretty pretty gross in my my uh, perspective. So the first reason I mention is that if you it used to be if you wanted to purchase a video game. You would, you know, maybe you see it in a magazine or you see it in a, an ad on TV or YouTube or whatever. And, um, or your friends tell you about it or someone tells you, you know, hey, you should check out this game. It's really great, whatever it is. Then you would find out how much it costs. You would go to the store um, or even, um, you know, go online and purchase that game for that price. And, you know, let's say it's usually $60 or whatever it was. Even if it's $100 or whatever, there's the price of the game buy it you play it enjoy it and everything else but it's shifted into this thing where there's way too many uh, game additions 
and game releases are just extremely overly complicated. So you have these things where not only do you need to decide if you want to purchase a game or not, then you have to decide whether which edition you want to purchase. So the example I'll use in this case uh, is uh, Tomb Raider. So like this latest one had uh, uh, like, a, and, and this may not be the exact editions because this is kind of across the board with a lot of games. So there'll be like a, a standard edition of the game which supposedly includes the game, I guess. And then there'll be some sort of like ultimate edition, which is like $20 or so more than that, which includes the game plus some more stuff. And then sometimes there's something called like a legendary edition or um, something or even like a... Um, they'll, they'll give them different names depending on the series. Where it's like, well, it includes even more stuff. And the problem is, is like... They've gotten to the point where they're so lazy about it that they're not even telling you really specifically what you're getting in these different editions. So they'll say like, well, if you get the ultimate edition, you get uh, three more costumes or something like that. But you have no idea what these costumes look like. They don't even, you know, it's just so complicated. So like looking at the editions, it's like they have to create a spreadsheet to show you like, well, this is included in this and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, it's just... It's overwhelming, and you're like, well, you know, I'm just gonna not, not gonna buy the game. I'm just not gonna buy it. Because, you know, if you get the standard edition, it's like, well, you're missing out on content, right? And if you get the ultimate edition, it's like, well, you're paying for content you, you might not even want, you know? So, it's just, it seems like it's insanity to me. Um, I really dislike this practice. Uh, I think it's uh, bad for consumers. I think it makes the, it makes the purchasing decision so complicated that people just decide they don't want to purchase um and so you know with, with so many games to choose from having to select from uh, arbitrary editions uh of these games is just overload for for consumers uh you know it's just easier to avoid uh, the games and, and confusing editions altogether um it seems to me that uh dlc so when especially with like the, the xbox 360 era it start, there, there was a thing where the game would release in its full form, and then there would be, like, later on, like, months and months and months later, there would be something called DLC, like, downloadable content, which was originally intended to add more content to the game. So you would purchase it, it would add more to the game that wasn't there, um, and it would help you, you know, stay engaged with the game longer. It was really, like, it was a fine, it was okay. Uh, it was a, kind of a win-win. It was like, oh, there's this game I really like, and now they've added this new, uh, this new feature or, or, or set of levels or things that are really kind of outside of the the game and the story. But it would just add, add another reason to 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 play the game longer. But it started shifting to where they instead of finishing a game and then later on adding more content they would release the game unfinished and sell you basically the the pieces of the game that were missing to begin with so like DLC became a thing that they would they would start to hold off and, and plan for before they even uh, release the game so it's it's this weird state where you don't really have a fully complete game or at least that's sort of how it feels in, in some cases um, 
So these versions, in my opinion, have become really insidious. Um, features that have historically been included in games are now being placed in higher editions simply due to uh, basically these like monetization schemes. And, um, so, you know, originally like you would purchase a game and you get like, you know, 10 costumes that you could unlock, for example, by finding different secrets or uh, beating different levels or completing certain objectives. Now they just say, well, we're going to give you, you know, three costumes and then these other seven, we're just going to pay, you know, you can buy them in a DLC. And uh, it gets way worse than that, but what, just for sake of time, we'll move on to the next thing. Um, the other issue is that it seems that game journalists work for the publishers. So they rely on access and ad revenue from publishers and distributors. So it, it appears to me that there's a, a fundamental conflict of interest. And due to this, gamers' opinions versus journalists' opinions are con like continuing to widen so you know the sort of like insider journalist companies will often rate the games much higher than the actual gamers do uh, and because the journalists are trying to protect their um, their revenue streams at the cost of integrity uh, towards the consumers so you'll see it it's really sad it's like a, you see it in movies now too it seems like with like Rotten Tomatoes where there's just a, a complete um, disparity between the ratings of individuals and the ratings of sort of these insider journalist types and uh, it's really it's really just seems harmful to the to the industry so there is also this issue of this digital content loophole. So basically, for whatever reason, you know, if you purchase a physical game back in the day, it has value. There's resale value to it, right? You could you could gift it to someone, you could uh, sell it to someone, like it had some inherent value. And now with the digital games, they have no value. So if you you know if you're someone who's purchased over you know 200 digital games. Uh, that you know, like myself, for example, uh, that you've purchased over the years, uh, and if you wouldn't, you want to sell them, or even gift them to someone, you can't, right? And if you want to sell them, they're worth zero. Uh, I think that's um, feels like a scam. Uh, you know, if if digital content has no value, then how can companies charge for it? Um, and uh, this is pretty fundamental uh, of an issue, and. Uh, it's it's getting like worse in the sense that now they'll they'll be there's more and more of these like move to a subscription model for gaming and which means that you don't ever really own the game at all and as soon as you stop paying for the subscription fee you lose access to this content right there's just no ownership and this is a this is something general for digital content um, not just gaming but it's a it's a frustrating part so. The next thing is, really, it it's comes down to what what appears to be greed, uh, and you know a lot of people like to, to point to Gordon Gecko, which is a character in, a, in this movie called Wall Street, who has a speech where he talks about how greed is good. But um, if you look at that movie from a different perspective, 
Gordon Gecko was just saying that in a desperate attempt to, you know, cover his own interest in the short term. He was trying to convince investors to to stay and to invest in his company and uh, relied on that speech in order to manipulate people into something that served his own interest. So, you know, it, it may be good in the short term in a situation like that, but in the long term, not necessarily so good. So uh, it seems that, you know, as more and more of these, these game companies go, have gone public, there is less care and concern about quality or actual fun. And uh, instead, it's, it's solely focused on, on profitability for investors in, in the short term. And, you know, publicly, uh, a lot of publicly traded game companies are, are just abandoning single player experiences and chasing maximum profitability, which is short sighted and, and a recipe for a disaster in the long term. And, and, and we've seen this, it seems like time and time again, especially with these large companies, is that they, they may do good in the short term by releasing games early or, or um, putting together really um, insidious uh, monetization schemes. But uh, they end up uh, damaging their IP in the, in the process and alienating fans and alienating the consumers, which is really unfortunate and sad because it's, it's not a good uh, long-term strategy. So um, for these, com- these big companies, there, there isn't really a recognition or it seems like there's not a re- recognition that every, com- every game, uh, you know, that not every game will be or should be a GTA 5. So Grand Theft Auto 5, which is this massively, 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 massively successful game financially. Um, and you know, when these big companies are developing games, they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't reach for every game to have that impact, right? They should just focus on making the best game possible. Um, but because they're chasing that. A lot of times, the sales expectations are often unreasonably high, and uh, and and again, end up destroying the IPs that that have had strong loyal followings. You know, so if you look at um, uh, franchises like Splinter Cell, for example, and uh, you know, there's there's games that they may not be e- e- extraordinarily profitable, but they're good. They create goodwill for your company and for your brand, and they create a good loyal f- uh, following and fan base and customer base, right? It's good for your brand to have some of these games that are not necessarily performing billions of dollars in sales, uh, but they they sort of anchor your company um, down with just a really positive image. And um, but but what happens is they'll they'll the investors seem to. Um, this is all just my outsider perspective, but it seems like they push so hard for these un- unreasonable sales that when these games then underperform, even if they, the games make millions of dollars, they'll shut it down. They won't make another one because they're, they're just sitting there chasing their, their GTA, their, their billion dollar franchise. That's all they care about. And um, it's frustrating and it seems like we've, we've lost a lot of great um, gaming franchises in in this process so you know so even when when a game is profitable it fails to live up to sales sales expectations um, and they're seen as a failure uh, to the company 
and it's just they just continue to discontinue and and, and bastardize this this once valuable IP. And part of that is the the lack of recognition and the value of the IP itself, um, which is so, so, so frustrating to see. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that their focus on uh, um, their their lack of long-term vision and uh, where they sacrifice long-term value for an attempt of short-term gain is starting to pay a price for these companies you can see you know drops in stock prices and uh, I believe rightly rightfully so because it's just it's short-sighted and um, it's really coming from a perspective uh, of Seemingly of people who really could care less about games. They just care about the numbers that that's all that's all they look at They don't care about the game um, which is uh, Is disappointing as a consumer The next reason is chasing mobile so uh, Basically, there's all a lot of these like free-to-play games chock full of microtransactions um, and So it's, it's like seems to me like companies either have to choose like do you want a free game with microtransactions or do you want a full price game with with little to no DLC like you can't really have it both ways uh, but more and more games are, are focusing on the mobile games market um, and but they're also sort of like mobilizing their console games and it's really a different playing field and so Sort of combining the two just muddles things up and, and makes things uh, makes for makes for a poor experience. So you can see, you know, regulations sort of starting to come into play with a lot of these things, um, but it's it's slow coming. There's certain countries that have passed uh, laws against uh, these kind of uh, monetization schemes and that sort of thing. But uh, you, you'll see, like there was the most recent one was. Uh, Mario Kart for mobile and from uh, from what I understand it's it's pretty bad I mean it's like there you need to pay a, a monthly fee just to have just to even play as Mario and Mario Kart so you know if I'm wrong about that please uh, um, correct me but uh, th these type of things where it's like it, it seems to me like it would be better better for a company like Nintendo to release a game that has like like Mario Kart for mobile. That's really you know it's a simple experience. It's not really overly focused on profit. It's more just creating goodwill and good brand recognition for your company. But when they put out a game like that and it's overly monetized and in a gross way, it turns off consumers. So it ends up damaging your brand. It's like, what? Well, what's the point? Why do? You, why even do that? And Nintendo is one of those companies that's really sort of holding out, um, or been holding out to a large extent on these microtransactions. And when that uh, when that Mario Kart game came out, it was really like a, a huge concern for me that uh, you know we, Nintendo has fallen, kind of a feeling that um, Nintendo was holding out and really just focusing on creating good and fun experiences and um, and with that sort of mobile strategy that they've implored for the new Mario Kart game it's not looking good um, in my perspective so uh, the other reason is 
the lack of understanding and the value of company's IP. So the example I want to give is Metal Gear Solid was a huge franchise. Uh, Hideo Kojima uh, really just created some amazing art with that game. And the latest release was uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, uh, which was actually one of my, uh, my favorite games. And there was obviously some issues within the company and, and them being a game company, again, them sort of shifting more towards the mobile, mobile market. Um, but they still have, uh, the, the company still owns the Metal Gear Solid, uh, the rights to those characters, um, as, as far as I understand. I think that's pretty clear. And uh, what they did after Metal Gear Solid 5 was they released this thing called, um, it was Metal Gear Solid Survive was the name of the game. But it was like this just really like, it felt like there was a boardroom meeting and they said to developers like, hey, use these assets to these Metal Gear uh, Solid assets that you have from Metal Gear Solid 5 and create a zombie game and we're gonna give you the really small budget and a really small timeline. And that's really what that felt like. Um, and what it does is, it, it really seems to me like a lack of understanding of the value of those characters, of those IPs, right? Like if you wanna create a Disney World, you have to understand the value of Mickey and Minnie and that sort of thing. Like. If you, if you understand the value, you can keep that going for a very long time because there's people who are really connected with those characters. But when you push out some like real shovelware zombie game based on Metal Gear Solid, it cheapens your brand. It really just does damage to your brand. You have all these people that, that really have loved Metal Gear Solid over the years and all of a sudden they see this thing and it's like, it just, it alienates the fan base. Like, they would be better off, it'd be more valuable to them not releasing a game. You know, um, at least not right away, right? And there's so many ways to, to, or, you know, they could have, you know, finished Metal Gear Solid 5, if some of you know what I'm talking about, um, which was really actually ended up being an unfinished game if you play it all the way through. There, uh, so, you know, they, they could have re-released things and, and focused on that, but it's just like, it seems like they don't understand the value of their characters, of their IP. And that's really disappointing and really seems short-sighted uh, for these companies. The next reason is censorship. So this does have to do with a particular country that uh, is, uh, is heavily... Um, has heavy censorship on their uh, citizens uh, in terms of what kind of content that they can purchase. And increasing censorship, the reason that companies are, are, are going along with this is because they want to get in this to this very large market that happens to be heavily censored. So instead of just creating great content, they create it for the heavily censored market and they don't create, you know, two versions. They'll just create one version. So you end up with this like watered down version of a game that's heavily censored, so that they can sell into a larger market. And when you're increasing censorship to an aging gamer audience, it seems extremely uh, counterintuitive to me. Yeah, I remember hearing a statistic about the average gamer um, being over 30. Uh, and this was years ago, right? And so 
being an industry that's so young that gamers can going to continue to age so um releasing more and more censored and watered down content seems really really counterintuitive um but it but the uh you know as, as the gamer ages it's like characters become watered down into in order to avoid any um not just to get past censorship rules in certain countries but also to avoid there's like a fear to avoid backlash from social media um and uh those that sort of that backlash doesn't represent the actual customer base but the companies are afraid of it so then they water down their content and then they ended up they end up uh, alienating their their audience anyways so this idea of that you know just caving to these these loud angry uh, people uh, just is making games and characters just more bland and Bland is, is, I think, the right word. Less compelling, less interesting, and uh, you know, games are supposed to embrace fantasy and not necessarily adhere to reality, right? But yeah, to just to avoid tr- offending people uh, who are addicted to being offended is is uh, nonsensical, um, and it doesn't result in sales either. So companies need to understand this, and I think they're slowly learning, painfully learning this lesson. But it's a, it's a weird environment. So um, it's it's sad. So, um, you know, simply for these game companies to look at a, a, a size of the market and see raw numbers, and really forgetting that there's a, you know, cultural differences and the markets are not the same, uh, is a is a is a loss for the industry as a whole, and. Uh, yeah, it's really sad. You know, there's damage to authenticity, uh, the authenticity of story, characters, and gameplay. And, uh, you know, so just, again, it, it just alienates more and more and more and more customers. So the other issue is uh, monopolies. There's certain video game publishers who hold monopolies on entire sport, sports, uh, entire sports period. And so whenever you lack uh, competition, uh, you have there's no incentive for these companies to release a really like a better and better or to release their best possible product, right? Because when there's no competitors, they can kind of just float by and um, and focus on just max- maximizing profits and keeping developing costs low and introducing all these as much as many shady monetization schemes as they want because there's no other choice for the consumer so if you're someone who wants to play a certain sports game it's like either you play it you play the game with the microtransactions and with the the you know that's not necessarily the best thing the best potential quality um or you just don't play that you just don't get to play your favorite sport as a game uh, so quality and innovation has really suffered the last ma- many years. Um, I think consumers are starting to get fed up with mediocre yearly improvements and more and more uh, microtransactions and monetization schemes, which you know we're starting to see um, again more and more rules and reg- uh, regulations start start to at least um, there's more conversation around that. And um, yeah, it's just, it's it overall like all these things feel like the industry is really taking the gamer for granted. They're not really focused on who the consumer is and what the consumer wants. Uh, they're just really sort of taking them for for granted. So 
so more and more people are just like, you know, forget it. I'm just not playing that. I'm not going to buy that. You know, I'm going to buy less and less. And uh, Nintendo seems to be the least nefarious company in these regards, but they're 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 certainly uh, at risk at falling for these the the seduction of of greed and short-term games. Um, and we see this again with the, some of their mobile titles that they've released, including the latest Mario Kart. And uh, you know, if they can avoid these practices, in my opinion, they'll they'll regain. Um, you know, well, they can really just uh, be the most popular game company and they're sort of moving into that and a lot of reason that they are so successful with the Nintendo Switch is because they have taken a stance against censorship um, and they don't necessarily have the mechanisms to implore some of these uh, monetization schemes in a way that some of the other companies do so that actually gives them an advantage in the marketplace um, the new thing is uh, the other thing is that there's there's not really uh, companies are no longer passing along digital content savings along to the customer as much, right? Like if the, if the physical box costs sixty dollars and can be resold, and it's something that um, can be physically displayed, and you know costs money for shipping, and uh, and uh, you know has built-in margin for retailers and everything. It's like how can you justify the same price directly to consumers, right? Um, and maybe that's to protect the retailers, you know. So maybe it's not necessarily a nefarious reason. Um, and again, I could I could have a skewed perspective on, on all of this stuff. So take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. But um, that would be the, the one fair reason I would say maybe to to, to sort of protect uh, resellers. Because if the digital content is way cheaper by default, then of course more people are going to just go digital. And um, so that, that's a thing. Uh, the other thing is, I'll be saying a lot, I have a few more reasons here. Uh, game, gambling mechanics, uh, even non-microtransaction gambling mechanics are still gambling mechanics, right? So if there's, there's literally games, you know, with this, you pull the slot machine and you ding, 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 and then you win a prize, you know, it's, it's they're, some people get addicted to that, and it's really sad that we're that so many of these mechanisms are in video games. And it's not just to protect the kids; it's also to protect adults who have a problem. And it's sad. It's sad that they, they're just they're taking advantage of, of people in that way. Is what it what it uh, looks like. Um, I think there is an interesting shift in the industry in terms of digital products versus uh, physical products, but I, I do think that there is a uh, space for physical distribution systems like a GameStop, for example, and uh, if there's too much of a push to try to eliminate some of those companies like uh, like a GameStop, it could be bad for the industry. Like there's, you know, there's, it's good for people to have a place to go to look and find and search things. And, um, we'll see how that, that plays out. Uh, the next reason is shipping unfinished games. This has just become just almost normal in the industry where they just ship unfinished games, right? It's like, it's rare to get, even if you were to buy the physical disc, it's rare to get that the content on that disc to be the same as what the game actually is within even like one or two months. The companies just release a ship unfinished game early and oftentimes way too early 
and then they just work to patch and to improve over time, which means the game and the, the game changes over time too. So every patch, every update, maybe there was something that you really enjoyed about the game. Now that's gone. It's no longer there. It's changed. And you can see this even with the uh, the console's operating systems itself. I'll give you the example with the Xbox One. Uh, originally, when I bought an Xbox One, I bought the uh, Forza console edition. And one of the, the selling points for the console was that you could do basically picture-in-picture. Picture. So you could be playing a game on the majority of your screen, but on a portion of the screen, you could play a YouTube video, for example. You have some other app running. So uh, I used to watch, you know, I think I would load up like Twitch on half of the screen and then play a game on the rest of the screen. It was a really enjoyable experience. And it was one of the reasons why I purchased an Xbox One. And a few, you know, a you know, year or so later, they patched that feature out of the console. And the way they do it is it's forced. It's like either you update and lose the feature that you love or you don't get to, to get online with your console, basically. Um, you know, you don't get access to all the the stuff. So it's this, con this like feeling of like you don't really own even the console itself is no longer really yours. You don't really have control over that. And... Uh, so, you know, like if you if you were to get a Dreamcast day one back in whenever the Dreamcast was released, right? Every game you play, you purchase, you know, everything, it's the same, right? It's it's the same back then, years ago, as it is today. So that experience that you can connect to and enjoy and you know get to learn and expect um, is is the same. It's consistent. Now it's it's you don't even know, you know, if you buy some hardware, like even a console, it's like you don't know what that software experience is going to be like in six months, in a year, two years. It's like it's constantly changing. And uh, obviously there's some benefits to that, but there's literally the, the, the effect that they can also remove features that you enjoy uh, at a moment's notice. And, and it's uh, there's nothing you could do about it. Uh, except just not connect that console to the internet ever again, and obviously um, you're in this position where then, you know, you might be missing up on on getting these patches for these unfinished games. So it's just a, it's you can see how it sort of folds in on itself in that way. Um, the next reason is requiring online connection to play games. So even now, single player games more and more are requiring a connection to the internet to play. Even though it's a single-player game, it's not like I understand requiring connection if you want to play with other folks online. Like that totally makes sense. That's absolutely makes sense about why you would need that. Um, but the you know the more and more starting to require the connection, even if it's just a single-player game, is, is is disturbing to me personally. Um, also, you know, taking away single-player options and choice. So, one of the franchises I, franchises I love, um, I have really, really enjoyed over the years, is the Forza series. I, I, I mentioned before I bought uh, Forza console even um, because I, I enjoyed that game so much. And this latest um, 
there's a couple different types of Forza games they released, but one is Forza Horizons, and Forza Horizon 4 uh, came out and introduced this concept of weather, like the weather constantly changes, and there's just no way to disable that feature. It's like, they're not really concerned about what the individual gamer wants. It's like they're more focused on the service that they're creating, and it's a you know it's a take it or leave it kind of situation. So, if you have uh, you know you're forced to be online more often, and the choices get taken away more and more, it's just like for folks like myself, it's like well it's just not worth it. I'm I'm just not going to purchase that game anymore. Um, the next thing is this required EULAs, the end user license agreements, um, where they often I mean if you read through those it's like feels like you're giving up certain rights to privacy and you can't play the game without data being collected about how you're playing the game and also about like your home network and potentially other devices on your network and uh, yeah just tracking gameplay for, for even single player games just seems really uh, disturbing um, the, the, the the time that this the first time I really noticed this was there's a game called Mirror's Edge that originally released for the Xbox 360 uh, and the PlayStation 3, which is a fantastic game. Uh, one of my favorites. And they released a sequel years later on the Xbox One, and I'm um, pretty sure it's on the PlayStation 4 as well. And if you go to the store and buy the game, mind you, like if you're playing this for a single player experience, which is what the first game was, you open up the packaging, you open up the box, you take the disc out put it in right you have to install it. it takes time finally you get to the point where you can play the game you turn you open up the game and then it says that you have to agree to all this EULA stuff or you can't play the game at all right and so if, like it's like what if you don't agree to it you have to then literally take you have to put it back in the box you have to take it back to the store and give it back um, to the company, right? Request a, a refund. It's like, it's insane to me that, uh, especially for more single-player experiences, that they do this this type of thing. It just, it gets, just gives this the, a negative feeling um, about this. And you know, the, a lot of times the only way to like dispute these EULAs is uh, is to you know write a letter into some company to, to get out of it supposedly. And you know, it's like they're trying to take away people's options for class action lawsuits and things. And I understand that companies want to protect themselves. I, I do understand that, but my point is from a gamer perspective, when you when you force these type of things on gamers before they even get to get into the experience, it can create a negative, um, a negative uh, just view of the entire experience, especially a game like Mirror's Edge, which was, which was about, um, well, if, if you know the game, the original game there's a specific theme to it you know and it's about sort of getting around um and being able to communicate outside of the system type of a thing and so this the the, the eula became a part of that experience which was completely contradictory to the essence of the original game um the next thing is just pretending that in-game currency has no real value again it's like it's this idea of digital content which is just it's a thing um, the next thing was uh, 
that 4K, so I ended up buying an Xbox One X because, uh, you know, I was always interested in new technology and wanted the latest and greatest thing, and the way that this was marketed was like, you know, the 4K gaming experience, you know, you have to see it for yourself and that sort of thing. It got to the point where they couldn't really demo what it looked like to you if you didn't have a 4K TV, so, uh, or something to play 4K content. It was just like trying to make 4K seem like it was the best thing ever. And I personally, as someone who really fell for that and, and, and bought a, a 4K console and then a 4K TV, really feel like it was, especially for gaming, the gaming industry, I feel like it was pushed too early. Um, I ended up getting, um, uh, re-getting a, uh, like a 43-inch, uh, just 1080p TV to, to, to play with the uh, Xbox One X because... Uh, there was so few games that actually supported 4K, it was ridiculous. Like for someone who owns two over, well over 200 digital games on, on the Xbox um, uh, service, the amount of digital, the amount of 4K games was, particularly the amount of 4K games that were released for the Xbox One specifically, were very is very low and we're talking about like a, a very low percentage i feel like there's like less than 20 out of a you know 200 and some um games but uh you know that's part of being an early adopter so it's it's not necessarily like you no one is forcing you to buy an xbox one x no one forced me to buy that i could have been a more informed consumer and not rid, rid that wave but it was just one of those other things that really helped me to start to separate from from this idea of uh, of gaming uh, because in realizing that uh, you know technologically better isn't necessarily a better experience and because I feel like they that was pushed too early now I'm not excited about the next generation of gaming which is insane to me because I've you know purchased most consoles and I really feel like I'm not gonna get the next generation of games and that's really sad to me it's really sad to me but I, but having that experience of getting the 4k console realizing there's not enough content for it why would I get the next generation console that's, you know, yeah, it's better graphics or whatever, but that doesn't mean it's a better experience. So, especially when the console that I have now doesn't really have that much 4K content. So, it's a thing. Um, the other reasons I'll mention is, uh, there's sort of some bonus reasons about um, games as a subscription. So, it for certain games, I feel like this may make sense, right? Where maybe if you're into games, which I don't know enough about because I've not played, but like a World of Warcraft type of game, like maybe it makes sense to have some sort of subscription for that. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm not really informed enough. You'd have to talk to someone who's really into more of those type of games. But for me personally i don't see a game that i want to pay a subscription for it's just not there yet right like i don't, I don't know i mean even even it's like a i don't i just don't see it i i and maybe this just this all of this perspective is from someone who was sort of around pre-internet and saw how um purchasing content used to exist like whether you're, you're buying a, a physical cd 
and now you you can only pay a monthly subscription for music kind of a thing um you know i still am aware of how things used to be the idea that concept of like hey i will give you twenty dollars and you give me this cd right or you know i'll you, I give you sixty dollars and you give me this game seems like a really simple straightforward transaction um, but more and more of these subscription services are are sort of pulling into like well spend fifteen dollars a month and you're going to get access to x amount of games right maybe you only really really want one or two of those but we're going to say that it's valuable enough because we're getting you access to you know x amount of other games and that's that's uh feels like way too many reasons um and it, it feels like i could even go on further which i won't um but this is from the perspective of someone who really loves video games and really has loved the process for such a long time. I really, really do appreciate when uh, when great games come out and uh, there are still a lot of great games and a lot of great content. And uh, so this is more of a coming from a, a place of uh, concern for something that I really enjoy. Uh, from some a place of uh, feeling like it's easier and easier and easier and easier for me to let go of games um, when I really did not expect this turn. Um, and it's not just because of minimalism, it's because of the industry and how the industry is behaving. Um, sort of creating this feeling where it just it feels like I don't belong it seems like I'm, I'm not valued as a consumer and uh, feels like things are happening that uh, shouldn't be that aren't really good for anybody so that's really a rant and if you've made it this far you you know that and maybe you connect with some of these things and as a gamer it's like well what what's what's the solution you know um, if I'm not going to be buying the Xbox uh, Next or whatever the heck they're going to call it, um, uh, or if I'm not going to get the PlayStation 5, um, you know, what's next? And and for me, so far, what has been next so, uh, is that I went and got a Wii. I went and got a, an original Wii, which I, you know, which I can just purchase games outright and play them and enjoy them and that's it it's not it doesn't it doesn't need to be connected to the internet it doesn't it require a subscription service there's no microtransactions you just i buy games that i want i play them that's it it's simple transaction seems fair to me um and uh yeah i mean other than that yeah, it's just the industry is sort of changing and maybe the industry just uh, doesn't have a real place for me in it anymore as a consumer. And moving forward, it's it's like I won't be purchasing new games anymore. You know, maybe I'll just be purchasing older content that I missed out on on, on older consoles that I can just connect up and play and enjoy and then I turn off and that's it. Um... You know, there's services like Stadia, for example, from Google that um, is all about just uh, basically, a, from what I understand, a subscription. Plus, yeah, I still have to pay content for it. And um, 
I don't know, I'm just not interested in, in that. I don't like the idea that, that every little thing that is, uh, um, every little thing is, is tracked and all, all this, there's all this push to uh, make games more difficult to force the consumer to pay more money for things that they would have just been able to do in, in the past. And uh, there's a balance with this. It's a difficult balance. Games or companies are, are obviously have pushed the limits, I feel like, as far as they can. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do even more shady things. Um, but I think that they've started to learn their lesson and pull back on some of these things. Uh, a great example is uh, with EA and the Star Wars franchise. They really, really did some damage to the brand. Um, and uh, in my opinion, and, and if uh, the... Um, if, if it wasn't that... They certainly had poorer sales than they expected, and that was because of a lot of this, this sort of uh, microtransaction-y, loot boxy kind of stuff that they put into all their, their content. That um, and and you can see that they finally have started to release some games that don't have that in there. It's just become sort of part of their marketing where they have to now talk about, well, there's no loot boxes in this game, right? So. You know, there's a balance, and maybe these companies lose their lessons or learn their lessons, and uh, start to just focus on creating great content for consumers. But um, until then, it, it's a it's not necessarily an industry that I want to be involved with. Uh, certainly not involved with as much, and that's really disappointing. So long ramblings about the video game industry from a minimalist perspective, and. Uh, really not even that much of a minimalist perspective in terms of the gaming industry because that's one of the areas that it, you know I've just had more uh, stuff it's been harder for me to let go of that type of stuff um, so hope you enjoyed this episode appreciate it <laughs>